This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Munro. All right, welcome back to Brojo Online. This is number 18. And today we're going to be having a look at dealing with negative thoughts. It's a pretty ironic title because we're going to be challenging the very concept of both negativity and thought. But this one today is for those of you who want to deal with the things that happen inside your mind that you feel hold you back and reduce your quality of life. We're going to have a look at those things that seem to cause you harm that come from your own mind and you don't know why your brain does this to you. We're going to have a look at that. We're going to have a look at all those stories and thoughts that come up that stop you from meeting new people, for going for that job you wanted, for doing the things that are right for you, the things that make you enjoy life more. Everything that happens inside your mind, inside your mind to prevent that quality of life. We're going to have a look at that today and how to deal with it. Essentially, this is partly going to be a session on how to coach yourself. How to coach yourself through mental thought-based blockages. We're going to have a look at that today. And for me, this is, you know, this is quite an important topic. This is a huge part of my coaching when I'm working with other people is simply helping them to manage the way their psychology works so that the kind of thoughts that they have do not prevent them from living a quality life. Now, something I really want to say right out from the front of this, this is not going to be about trying to control thoughts. It's not. I don't believe in positive thinking. I don't believe in positive affirmations and trying to drill thought patterns into your head and trying to manipulate your thoughts. I think it's pointless and quite harmful in the long run. It can work for short-term periods of time. You can go to the guru seminar and come out of it going, yes, I am a confident, awesome person who's going to kick the world's ass. A week later, your brain just goes, no, you're not. And you're back to where you started. So I don't believe in all that. I believe that uh, trying to control your thoughts is ultimately a pointless and harmful endeavor. And we're going to be looking at a different way of doing things. We're going to have a look at acceptance. We're going to have a look at challenging the truthfulness of your thoughts. And we're going to have a look at the link between thoughts and behavior and how you can actually behave regardless of what thoughts are occurring in your mind. So that's where we're going to be going today. And hopefully I'm going to be able to teach you a simple process, simple but not easy, of taking a thought that seems to be holding you back and digging. Digging deeper, peeling back the onion layers, whatever you want to call it. Digging deeper into your psychology to find the cause, the, the catalyst for this thinking and to understand the truth of it. Where does it come from? What does it really mean? And what am I going to do about it? So let's start by defining the issue as we always do. What is negative thinking? What is this thing that we call negative thoughts, negative feelings? Well, again, this is something that's come up many times during Brojo real life sessions. And of course, uh, in the coaching sessions I do, this comes up all the time. Start with that kind of that word negative. What would what do we mean when we say negative? It's something that's happening inside us that we associate painful, unpleasant, or uncomfortable uh, sensations with. You know, we associate the thought or the sensation in our head 
with unpleasant physical and emotional sensations. That's often what we mean by negative. So anything that we associate with fear, with anger and frustration, with confusion and doubt, with shame particularly, embarrassment, guilt, these are all things that we consider to be negative. Now those of you who have been paying attention to the way we do things at Brojo will have already be starting to think, wait, why do I call those sensations negative? Why is it not okay to feel guilty, confused, angry, afraid, disgusted? Now this is, this is a key factor here because quite often we think of something as being unpleasant as also being bad. We think that unpleasant is a negative thing. We think uncomfortable as being that unpart at the start. It's this negativity we attach to it. So what you should be able to see right out of the gate is that if you didn't consider those emotional sensations as negative, as bad, we wouldn't even need this conversation. If you thought of those emotional sensations as helpful, as necessary, as something that will guide you to live by your values, then there wouldn't be any fight against them in the first place. Any thought that triggered those emotions would simply be an invitation to explore yourself deeper. And really, if there's only one thing you get out of this, I'd like you to open your mind to the idea that you've been taught that some of your emotional sensations are bad, when actually they're simply unpleasant. And unpleasant and bad are not the same thing. Unpleasant is not wrong. One of the, the examples I like to use for this, and we'll talk more about this when we do a session on emotional shame, but the idea of, of going to the gym, doing a workout, and you're doing your last set, and you're hitting that failure point, and your muscles are burning. You know, it's a painful experience. The lactic acid buildup, or whatever it is, the tearing of the muscle fiber, you can feel it. It hurts, and you push yourself to get that last set out, and you finish your set. Why is it that you're okay with that kind of pain and you don't call it bad? I mean, that burning, painful sensation, you're okay with it. It's unpleasant and uncomfortable, and yet you don't think of it as bad or wrong. Why? Because you know it's necessary for growth, because you see it as a sign of success rather than a sign of failure. It means that you're trying hard, you're pushing yourself. Why don't you do that with emotions? When you feel guilt or fear or confusion, why do you go, oh, that's bad and wrong? And yet when your muscles are burning up and it feels like you're injuring yourself, you're like, yeah, this is good. I want you to start questioning that because the very concept that makes thoughts difficult to deal with is you labeling them as negative. As you saying, because these thoughts lead to me feeling this way, the thought itself is bad and wrong. I should not be having that thought. That process of you shaming your own thinking causes you more pain than anything else. Your suffering doesn't come from the thought. Your suffering comes from the way you judge yourself for having the thought. Your suffering comes from the punishment you inflict on yourself for the thought occurring in the first place. So negativity, that first part, is understanding that this is the label you give the thought, not the thought itself. The thought itself is neutral, it's just noise inside your head, it's just sensation within your mind somewhere. 
it's the bit where you go, I shouldn't be thinking that. It's bad to think that. It's wrong to think that because I feel uncomfortable right now. That's the bit where the suffering begins. Before that, you just had a noise inside your head. There's noises inside your head that go on all the time, all day long, and you ignore most of them. They're neutral. They have no meaning to you. Just let them pass by. If you're sitting in traffic and your mind's just wandering, going from one scenario to another, imagining this, imagining that, and you're not really caring about any of it, you're just waiting for the traffic to end, you don't give any real credence to that kind of thinking. You don't give it any weight, any labels. It's just my mind was wandering. It's not plus or minus. It's not positive or negative. But if you're stuck there in that traffic and you're having a thought, and then you're just like, God, I shouldn't be stuck in this traffic, and you feel the rage of being stuck in the traffic, then you'll be like, oh, why can't I just accept being stuck in traffic? God, I'm such a, such a loser for being in this traffic. And you start to punish yourself for the thought. All because in the first place, you weren't okay with feeling a bit of anger, a bit of frustration. You weren't willing to look into that further. You weren't willing to explore it to see what it held for you. So I want to I wanted to start with that definition around negativity is understand there is no such thing as a negative thought. Thoughts are neutral. What you think of as negative might be positive to somebody else. And you know that. You know that it's, it's entirely subjective. Right? It's how you feel about it and then your reaction to how you feel about it that the real suffering comes from. When you have the thought, I'm a loser, it's just a neutral bit of noise inside your head. It means nothing until you go guilty feeling, I shouldn't be feeling guilty, therefore I definitely am a loser. And you confirm the thought as being some sort of statement of fact. You believe it. And the implications of the thought being true is what really hurts you. So the idea that thoughts, feelings are negative, if you can deal with that, most of your problems go away. Most of your suffering disappears. So that labeling is one of the key things I want you to focus on because that labeling stops your exploration. If you go, that thought is true, you don't look any deeper into it, you don't Look beyond it. You don't try to see where it came from. You just believe it. The second, the second major factor in this is actually the understanding of what a thought actually is. We, we experience thought, this kind of inner noise, all day long. You know, people talk about meditation and getting to a point where they have no thoughts. I've had that, and yet there's still the thing watching waiting for a thought, and it seems to have thoughts. The thoughts are almost constant stream. Even dreaming, you can't even get away from them when you're asleep. Bits of language, imagery, stories, patterns, noise. It's this kind of mess of stuff going on inside your head. And I want to explore something because probably for your entire life, you've listened to this noise and you've watched the imagery inside your head and it's just come with the idea that somewhere it's true. That some part of your brain has already made an assessment of rational information and therefore whatever thoughts you're having are based on the truth. That's what your brain likes to do. I want you to stop for a second right now and just wait for a thought to pop into your head.
Just notice it. Notice the first thought that comes. Don't try to generate a thought. Just notice one. It might even be something like, I'm not having any thoughts right now. That itself is a thought, a piece of language. Now, I want you to do this again, but when the thought pops into your mind, I want you to ask yourself, where did it come from? What was the original source? So just then what happened to me is I heard a hammering noise outside, and this image came into my mind of this fictional neighbor, who I don't know what he looks like, kneeling down on the deck, hammering. I added that imagery to the sound. I can't even be 100% sure that's actually a hammer I'm hearing. Probably is. But I added the imagery of a guy hammering. I can't see a guy. My curtains are closed. Where did that image come from? Well, if you like most people, when we go through this exercise, the closest thing you can come to describing it is that it popped into my mind. The thought wasn't there, and then it was. It just appeared. There was no mental process of going into some subconscious filing cabinet and pulling out a thought and then creating it. It just came. This idea that thoughts just pop into your mind, that they just appear. Ask yourself, where from? What was the generating source of that thought, of that sensation? We might never know the answer to that question truly, though neuroscience is making some leaps and bounds in this area. But one thing we can say is that some part of our brain created the thought and then delivered it to our conscious awareness. It came from somewhere complete as a thought. A movie that was delivered to us one bite at a time from somewhere else where it was created. The creation of it doesn't occur in the conscious space. It comes formed. Sometimes it appears to form in the conscious space, but even that is being delivered from somewhere. Why do I bring this up? Because if you're believing your thoughts, that means you're trusting the source of them. If you're believing your thoughts, if you're saying that thought must be true, it means that you believe that the source of your thought is a reliable source. And the first question I want to ask is, is that true? Is the source of your thinking a reliable source? I want to try a little mental experiment right now. I want you to do a visualization ex exercise, very quick one. I want you to visualize yourself as a different animal. Your face, but on a different animal. A zebra, perhaps an elephant with a big long nose, a giraffe with a long neck a dog, a bird. Just visualize yourself as that animal. Right now I'm imagining myself as a kind of weird parrot. Well, actually, I'm just thinking of a parrot. I'm thinking it's me. Now ask yourself, how true is that thought? Are you an animal, like that animal you just imagined? Or was that a fiction? Now, if your brain is able to create such a fiction, why is it that you trust your thoughts? 
Your brain, just then you were able to show yourself, your brain has the capability to fictionalize a lie, to make a lie true. Right? Fictionalize a lie? Ah. It took a lie, you are an animal, and made it true in your mind. Create the image or the understanding. That's true. This is the same thing that you trust with the thought, I'm a loser, or I can't ask that person out on a date. This thing that can make you look like an animal, you're trusting it? You believe it? You really think your thoughts are true? This is kind of Buddhist philosophy coming through here. This idea that your thoughts are just thoughts. They're just noises. A radio station, as act therapy would say. Playing inside your mind. When you're listening to the radio in your car or at work and somebody's selling something on an ad, you know, they're saying, come and buy this this bed. It's the best bed in the United States. The number one bed, the posturepedic sleeping fucking king of beds. Do you always go, well, that must be the best bed. I'll go buy it then. Do you go buy everything on every ad that you hear? Do you believe every word that comes out of every mouth on the radio? Hopefully not. And yet you're doing that with your with the radio station that plays inside your mind. You're believing all the nonsense it comes up with, even though we know now that the source is unreliable. Just like we know that the source of a radio station is unreliable, when, when we hear an ad on, on the radio station, we know the person who created that ad doesn't necessarily have our best interests at heart. We don't know that person. We haven't assessed them. We can't trust them. We listen with an air of suspicion. We treat it with some critical thinking. When someone says, this is the bed, bed, best bed in America, we go, is it? Really? Where's the proof of that? Hopefully we do that. I know some of you are just going by the bed. And yet, when our own thoughts occur, because it's coming from what appears to be ourselves, we believe it. And yet, really, are we as trustworthy as the person on the radio? Are we more trustworthy than them, really? You just show that you can pretend to be an animal. If you can pretend that, you can pretend anything. I also want you to pay attention to the idea that this thought comes delivered to you from somewhere and you're not aware of that place. The original source of your thought. You don't know where that is. You don't know what's happening there. You don't know if that's a place of reliability, and yet you behave as if it is. When you get the thought, I'm a useless loser, you assume that that came from a place of rational reasoning. You assume that it came from a place of of critical thinking where somebody had gone over the facts and come to a conclusion and you don't need to question it. And yet, the same place can generate the thought of you being a parrot. It can come up with a complete load of bullshit. Sometimes you think, no, but this time it's true. How do you know if you can't see into the kitchen? How can you trust the food? One of the key things around, key misunderstandings around confidence is so many people think that confidence and certainty go hand in hand. That a confident person is sure of themselves. And I think that they believe this implies that they, their thinking is so sorted that they can trust their thinking. In my exploration, what I've found that truly confident people do not trust themselves. They are uncertain. 
They do not believe the thoughts that come up into their mind. They know that the part of the brain that generates those thoughts is an untrustworthy source of information, an unreliable noise-making machine that must be challenged and questioned regularly. So what's interesting is confident people sound sure of themselves because they've actually relieved themselves of the burden of being certain. They just go, this is the truth as it appears right now, and I'm open to more truth. I'll just deliver this one as it stands, and I'll look for more later on. Now, an uncertain person is trying so hard to be sure of themselves that they sound uncertain all the time. It's kind of this ironic, counterintuitive thing. But for me, if someone is unwilling to move, a guru-type person, somebody who thinks my way is the way, and they sound really sure of themselves, and there's no uncertainty whatsoever, I'll immediately assume that they are deeply insecure. If they're not willing to be wrong, it means that they've gotten stuck on a certain thought, a thought that says, I am right, and they're believing that thought. So why do we do this? Why do we believe that our thoughts are true and real? And why do we cling to them despite the obvious harm that they do? Why do we cling to a thought, you're not good enough for that promotion, even though we know that if we went for the promotion, we'd be proud of ourselves? Why do we do this? My theory is because it's easy. It's easy to just believe your thoughts. There's no further exploration required. There's no critical thinking needed. No adventure into the unknown to find things you don't want to find. You get to avoid all that when you believe your thoughts. When you believe the thought, I am a loser, it hurts, but you don't have to do anything. It's effortless. It's like, oh, I'm a loser, I give up on everything. Easy. I don't believe in laziness. I don't believe laziness is a thing. I believe laziness represents either a genuine lack of motivation, the person should not be doing the thing in the first place, or more likely it represents fear. It's a procrastination that comes from not wanting to explore further, not wanting to find the truth. When you believe your thoughts, it means you've given up on finding the truth because your thoughts are always wrong. It's as simple as that. The truth is subjective. So every thought you have is simply a guess at the truth, which means it's wrong. So one of the things that I've come to understand is that until you get to the answer, I don't know, then you're dealing with a lie. If I ask you, why do you do this or why didn't you do that? And you say, because of this or because of that and because of this, you're lying. The only true answer is, I don't know. Because the source of your directions and your decision-making, everything, is subconscious. You do not see it happening. Therefore, you don't know. You will never really know why you do things. The kind of cause and effect thing that we're always trying to find, us humans. It doesn't exist. We can't find the original cause. Even if you got to the subconscious layer where you could see your mind making decisions, you still don't know why it does that. Was it because of your parents' genetics? Was it because of your environment? You'd have to keep looking, keep looking, and you'll keep looking forever. However, the deeper you go, the more leverage you have. And that's what I really want to share with you guys today, is how to deal with thoughts in a different way to give you more what I'd call truthful leverage. Let me make sense of this. Let's say 
you think you're too busy to go socializing and you get stuck on that thought you ask yourself why don't i socialize more and your brain goes you're too busy look how busy you are look at that calendar it's just too busy now if you try to deal with the issue at that level if you don't dig any further if you just believe the thought i'm too busy you don't want to go near the i don't know concept and you just want to stick with i'm too busy then you'll start working on time management techniques You'll try to rearrange your calendar. You'll try to fit more hours of socializing in, so on and so forth. And what you'll find after a few weeks of doing this is that it didn't do shit. You're still not socializing. Even when you made time to do it, you still didn't do it. Some other excuse came up. Well, you're not too busy, but you are too tired from being busy, you know. Or now's not the right time, or the weather's a bit shit. Because you're believing the thoughts as to why you didn't do what you need to be doing, your strategy for dealing with it was ineffective. When you believe you're too busy, then you'll deal with the way you manage time, and managing time isn't your problem. Here's the key thing. You are not too busy for anything. You really aren't. You simply choose what to prioritize in your life. When you're too busy for something, what you're saying is, I prioritize every single other thing in my life over this. It's not too busy. You could... Quit your job if you wanted to, to do that socializing. You could do it. It's not impossible. There'd be big consequences, but you could. You're choosing not to. So you're not too busy. You're choosing to prioritize other things. Yet if you get stuck on too busy, you'll try to manage your time. If you, even if you get stuck on choosing to prioritize differently, you'll still be trying to manage your time. But the reason you're not socializing has nothing to do with time management. You need to dig deeper. So when it comes to dealing with, with negative thoughts, we're going to have a look at the practical practical method that, that I like to use with coaching and I want to teach everybody on going deeper. First off is understand if your answer is not, I don't know, then you haven't gone deep enough. You want to keep searching until you get to, I don't know. That's the key one. So rather than avoiding fighting against thought, trying to change it with a positive affirmation, trying to suppress it, or trying to convince yourself that it's not true, you just start questioning it. So let's start with the idea, I'm not, I don't have enough time, I'm too busy. Let's start with that one. The question becomes, first off, is that true? Now this is a uh, something I got from Byron Katie. She's a coach, you can find heaps of her stuff on YouTube, she's fantastic. Byron Katie. And what she talks about is this concept of, um, is it true? She questions, she likes to question everything for truth. Now, that's what I always start with. When I, my thought comes in my head, I go, is it true? And what I'm looking for is exceptions. It's kind of like a scientific method to thinking. Is what I'm looking for is anything that disproves or challenges what I believe to be true. Now, this is about challenging your cognitive bias there's a there's cognitive bias called confirmation bias which is your brain seeks to prove what it already thinks it knows so what i mean by that is your brain already believes its own beliefs and it wants to keep doing that so it doesn't like contradictory evidence it doesn't like to be proven wrong so it just looks for further proof for example if you're racist like if i'm a white guy racist against black guys then I'm only going to notice when a black guy does something that I could perceive to be negative. I won't notice or digest the information when they do something I believe to be positive. My brain will filter that out so it can keep believing the racism. 
we all do this. It's a, it's a form of time saving that the brain engages in. Now, when you, when you look to deal with your painful thinking, let's say, it becomes really important to understand that your brain may believe it has evidence, but it's actually been generating that evidence. It's been looking at situations and going, see, that proves it. And not looking for situations that say, oh, that disproves it. Your brain's been actively filtering those situations out. If you think you're too busy, your brain has been ignoring all the time that you could have been using. When you say you're too busy, your brain ignores the three or four hours a week you spend scrolling through Facebook, the 10 hours a week you spend watching TV, the length of time you spend on the bus that could be saved if you took a different method of transport. Your brain ignores all of that and just says, I'm too busy, and just sticks on that thought because it wants to believe it. And the real question I'm trying to figure out is why does it want to believe that? Why does it want this excuse to not do what I know is the right thing to do, which is to socialize more? So what I first do is I look for exceptions. As soon as I find an exception, I know I've got to go deeper. So if I go, I'm too busy, okay, okay. Can I find five minutes in my week to socialize? Not so that I will socialize in those five minutes. I just want to see if they do exist. Do those five minutes exist? Is there an hour free in my week to socialize? If I had the, the strength and the bravery and the courage to socialize at any time, does that time exist? doesn't matter who you are you'll see that there's at least an hour there's an hour of something you could swap for socializing you'll see there's at least an hour of some bullshit that you're doing that isn't relevant or productive or as valuable to you as socializing now it's not so that you go okay so i'll just take that hour and start socializing because that's trying to manage your time management which isn't the issue we've got to go deeper so we go deeper and go okay i'm too busy is a lie i can see that now because there's spare time right there. So why am I lying to myself? And this is how we dig. I've told myself I'm too busy. Why have I told myself that? Why do I want to believe I'm too busy? What does being too busy get me out of? And then we start questioning. This is where you start going towards the I don't know. You start heading into the unknown. And it's a scary thing to do. But it's the only way to deal with something that appears to be holding you back is to understand it's not holding you back. So we dig into I'm busy. We go, okay, I tell myself I'm busy because in reality, I'm scared of socializing. And you can already feel there's like this kind of relief that goes, okay, I'm getting closer to understanding this problem now. And already with that first step, we can see like me managing my time is pointless. It's got nothing to do with me managing my time. Now, in the end, later on, I might end up changing the way my calendar works, but it's not what's going to solve the issue because it's not the issue. I can see there's clearly a few hours free to socialize. Time's not my issue. And I've managed time my entire life. If I needed to find time for something important, I can do it. I've done it before. I've managed to hold down a job or go see my family or whatever. I've managed to get to things on time before. I know I can't do it. That's not the problem. So now I'm stuck on the next thought. I'm scared of socializing. And I'm coming to believe that one. And yet I still haven't said I don't know. So I ask myself, is it true? Am I scared of socializing? Is there a single exception anywhere in my life where I've socialized without fear? 
any time where I have interacted with another human being without experiencing fearful sensations. Because if I am scared of socializing, that means I should always be afraid whenever I'm interacting with another human. Even a family member, a close friend, anything, I should always be afraid for that to be true. 100% of the time, my entire life. Not only that, it should be true for others as well. Other people should be unable to socialize due to fear if it's true that humans can't socialize because they're afraid. you know. So I should not be able to find any other exceptions. Now, of course, if I'm honest with myself, if I really am open-minded and do want to change in this area, I'll notice, well, you know, when I go to the family dinner on Sunday, I feel okay. Sometimes there's bits of anxiety, but most of the time I'm okay. There's at least a few minutes of not being afraid. So therefore, me being scared of socializing is not true. So why do I tell myself that? What am I trying to get out of? What does me being scared of socializing help me avoid? And I say, ah, it's rejection. That's what it's really about. I don't want to get rejected. When I think about going out and socializing, I'm okay if it's going well. What I'm scared of is if someone says they don't like me. Someone says no to me asking them out. So now I'm at my next level. I've peeled another bit of the onion. I'm getting closer. But I still haven't said I don't know. I still have reasons. So now I'm at the point where I'm like, well, I'm pretty legitimately afraid of rejection. Every time I've experienced rejection, it's hurt. You know, there are no exceptions. I definitely, rejection is bad, definitely. And this is where we've got to get that real critical thinking muscle go, going and understand, well, what is rejection? What is this thing that we think happens and that harms us? There's a, I've already done a session, I believe, on eliminating rejection. If, and if this example I'm using applies to you, then I'd suggest going and watching that one as well. But what I'd find is if I examined it, I'd say, well, rejection is someone not paying attention to me, not liking me, you know, not wanting to go out with me, not this, not that. And so the exception rule that I look at is, okay, so how many people in the world fit that category right now? How many people in the world don't want to go out with me? How many people in the world are ignoring me? It's fucking almost all of them, right? Right now, as I sit here in this chair, almost everybody in the world, by my definition, has rejected me. They're not with me in this room paying me attention and giving me love. And yet I'm okay with that. Most of the time I don't think about it. Most of the time I don't even notice it. So my problem isn't even with rejection. But when the thought that I've been rejected comes up, I experience pain and that's what I'm trying to avoid so now we're another level deeper when I think I've been rejected I experience pain we're getting closer you can almost feel it to why this person isn't socializing in the first place you can see it's not nothing to do with time management we've already shown that that's an absolute lie well, see, it's got nothing really to do with socializing in general because they're fine with that most of the time. We're getting now to this deeper, deeper phobia of being perceived as rejected. And then we ask the question, you know, well, why is it bad? Why do we, why do we think that rejection is, is wrong, it's painful? When we've survived every rejection up until now, why do we still think it's a bad thing? 
Now, for each person, this process will take a different amount of time and you'll hit different roadblocks. But the point is to keep questioning until you get to, I don't know. Because now you're getting below all the stories you tell yourself as to why something's true and you're getting to the actual truth, which is you don't know. Now, this comes from the sort of Socratic Socrates philosophy. The only thing we know for sure is that we know nothing for sure. So the only time we're ever being truthful, genuinely truthful, is when we say, I don't know. So until you're saying that, you can't believe the thought you're having. You will. <laughs> when I say you can't, you absolutely can and will. But understand you're choosing to believe a fiction. It's like watching Harry Potter and deciding that Harry Potter is a real person. Because you see it, the imagery of him, just like you see imagery and thoughts and stuff in your mind, you go, well, that's true. You don't want to go, well, let's go research Harry Potter. Oh, it turns out some actor, Daniel Radcliffe. Okay, well, he's he just he's still Harry Potter. He just chooses to be. Then you go and find out there's movie sets and there's scripts and stuff, and you realize Harry Potter wasn't real. It's the same thing with your thought processes. You see the script, you see the finished performance, and you just don't question it. Keep questioning it until you get to, I don't know. Keep looking for exceptional pieces of evidence, because there's always some. Always. Say so yourself, well, the reason I don't socialize is because I don't want to reject it, don't want to get rejected, and if I go up to people, they'll definitely reject me. So okay. So have you ever gone up to someone in your life and they didn't reject you? Yes, even once? Well, then that's not true either. And you've got to go deeper until you cannot find any exceptions. <laughs> and if you're doing this with a true open mind, genuine curiosity, you'll find eventually you go, look, I don't know why I don't want to socialize. There's a lot of fear and hesitation and pain and all these stories about rejection, but ultimately... Even if all those things happen, I know I'd survive, so I don't know why I don't do this. This is a great starting place. This is a blank slate, a platform to build on. I don't know means something new can be built in place of all the stories and bullshit you had before. You had this whole tower of lies before. At the top layer was, I don't have enough time. The next layer down was, I don't like socializing. The next layer down was, I'm afraid of rejection, on and on. And you've just bashed all that down with exceptional evidence and gone back to this, I actually don't know why I do things. And what's great about that platform is you can build on it. You can choose. And this is where values become involved. So when we get there, we can go, actually, when I look at the, ver the very original intention to socialize more, even though I didn't follow through on it, Why? Why was I wanting to socialize? Not why was I avoiding it anymore? I can see that there's no rational reason for it. Just fear. But why Why did I want to socialize? Why do I want to talk to people? Why do I wish that I didn't have this fear of rejection? Why is it important to me? And I want you to keep, keep asking yourself this question until you come to a values-based answer. And again, if you're not sure of what your values are, there's a lot of material in the, the Brojo library on values. But let's say I'm working with this original guy who's afraid of socializing and so on. It's a point, look, it's connection. I want to invite people to connect with me. That's the value here. You know, 
I want to connect. What is connection made out of? It's made out of honesty. It's made out of courage and respect. Those are the values I'm trying to live by here. I end up with, I'm too busy. What I'm really saying is, I'm too busy to be honest. I'm too busy to be courageous. I'm too busy to be respectful. That's what I'm really saying to myself. So we start with the blank platform. We go, okay, let's start with honesty. Keeping socializing in mind. Why? What's the connection between honesty and socializing that you're originally attempting here? Say, so, well, I, I, I believe that connection comes from being honest with someone. Like, you have to be yourself with someone for them to connect with you. It's okay. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's start with that. Because one of the things that, that comes up here when, we, when we're too busy or whatever that surface level bullshit story is, so deep down, the original value we're trying to live by, at some point in the process, became misunderstood. And that misunderstanding was harmful. And that's where all these thoughts are coming from. So if I, if I have the original value of connection, but then I have the misunderstanding that connection comes from making people like me, I'm going to develop this fear of rejection and so on and so forth. Right? That misunderstanding that connection comes from making people like me that was formed in my childhood by fucking idiots raising me who didn't know shit. That's, that's led me down this really harmful path where now I feel like I'm too busy to socialize. Whereas if I get back to the original thing, what is connection really? And I redefine that as being honest and let go of this people liking me thing. I go, actually, you know, people liking me, that's, that's not true. People can like me without being connected to me. Like I like a celebrity. I know nothing about them. That's not a connection. So if I'd kept digging under the fear of rejection, I would have found that eventually that person had this idea that connection requires someone to like me. And that would be in the original misunderstanding that led to the idea. Oh, did I say rejection? Connection. That led to the idea that rejection is possible. But if I start with connection comes from honesty, from being yourself and inviting someone to be themselves with you, then I can go down a new path where socializing isn't about making people like me anymore. It becomes about being honest with people. I'm going to feel a lot less resistant to doing that if I've let go of making them like me. I'm like, okay, today I just seem to be honest with five people and they can all hate me. It's fine. It's totally okay for them to hate me. They... It will tell me that they're not a good fit for me. It will save me wasting my time trying to make them like me. And I can just move on from them. There's 7 billion people in the world. I've got to get fucking moving because I'm not going to get through all of them by the end of my life. So I go out there and, hey, I'll be honest with him. Be honest with him. All i got to do is be honest and walk away. I don't even need to get anything from this person. I'm completely fulfilled in just being honest. A whole new platform, a whole new building is built on that original platform of I don't know. Of course, I made it sound a lot easier than it is. But it is simple. You get down to the point where you're like, okay, the key misunderstanding was, I thought that trying to live by the value of honesty meant that sometimes I, I had to also make people like me. But those two things are in conflict. I can't be honest and make people like me all the time. There's always going to be an exception to that. Do I want to make people like me or do I want to be honest? Well, because I want a connection, I have to be honest, not make people like me. And you can find that key misunderstanding that you had some point earlier in your life, you know. 
bearing in mind, you know, even this is still subjective theory and so on, but look how far away we are from I'm too busy now. I'm too busy is now so revealed as just total horseshit. Now, you could try and manage your time better and believe the I'm too busy story, but the leverage is so little. Even if you manage your time better, this deep fear of rejection is going to prevent you from doing anything in that time anyway. Whereas if you get right down to the core and change the belief around what connection means, the leverage is massive. You're now free to do so much more. You can take so much more action now, and your calendar and the time you have available won't even matter. You'll just be socializing during your other activities. All you do is just be honest all the time when you're in the presence of other people. Your whole life becomes a social experience. The reason I like this method is because it actually creates an overall I guess, healing strategy. And that is every time you have a thought, your immediate reaction is to distrust the truth of it. To understand that your values and your thoughts are two different things. That your reasons for taking action are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are just noise made by your mind, given to you from some subconscious place that you can't trust. You can't rely on it to provide you with good information. We can clearly demonstrate that it is capable of great level of fiction, and you know this. I mean, so many times when you've been imagining the worst case scenario, and then when you look back and you go, that was never going to happen, and it never did happen. So that was definitely a fiction. There's no chance that was true. And yet you believed it. And you had to choose to believe it. You had to go, I'm going to stick with this thought as the final thought. I'm not going to explore any deeper. And it's quite often we do try to explore deeper, but the emotional belief is so strong that we just keep clinging to the original thought and we're not really exploring. So let's say I've got this emotional, depressed-type attachment to the thought I'm a loser. I'll try, you know, and this is where positive affirmations come in. It's like, no, but, you know, I'm a good person, but I'm so emotionally attached, I'm a loser that my brain just goes, nah, you're not. Yeah, you're still a loser. Yeah, that good thing you did, nah, doesn't count. You're a loser. It's not really an exploration. If anything, you're only strengthening your belief of the original thought. You kind of look for an exception, but you look for it in a way where you're trying to make sure it's not really an exception. You sort of look in the mirror and you go, I'm a good person. And your brain goes, nah, you're not. You're a terrible person. Look at you. You're awful. And you're kind of fighting against it. Rather than going, wait, the thought I'm a good person and the thought I'm a terrible person are both lies. My brain's just yelling at itself now. What's really going on here? When I cling to the idea that I'm a loser, what am I avoiding? What does that get me out of? How is this the easy way? And that's the real, that's the thing that really helps me is when I cling to a thought, my first assumption now is that I'm trying to take the easy way out, the untruthful easy way out. Um, personally, I had a, some experience with this recently. I have it actually a few times around jealousy. My girlfriend and I like to joke about it. She she loves my jealousy. You know, it's uh, 
I guess it's a compliment to her in a sense. And uh, she just likes watching me struggle with it. She thinks it's funny. And I do too. Um, and what I'll get with jealousy is like this temptation to stick to the idea that, you know, some other guy that's paying uh, interest in my girlfriend or providing her with some pleasure of some kind, that somehow he's a threat to me. And it's so easy to believe that and even easier to kind of blame the other people involved for my pain, you know, to say he's, he's hurting me or she's hurting me, that kind of thing. And yet what I do now, as soon as I notice that, I'm like, okay, I'm taking the easy way out of some deeper thing that I don't want to look at. Where does my jealousy come from? What is jealousy? Why do I believe in it? What am I trying to avoid? See, when I dig into that, we get closer to things like the I'm not good enough story. You know, we get to beliefs like I own my girlfriend. I have her. She is mine. Rather than actually questioning and going, do I actually own anything ever? You know, the real naive inquirer type questioning. Because when I explore my jealousy, I see that it doesn't exist. What exists is a misunderstanding of connection. I believe connection is to possess something, but that's not connection. Connection is merely experience. I've never possessed my girlfriend and never will. She does not belong to me. I never had her and will never have her. I simply have experiences with her on frequent occasions. Nobody can take that away from me. Now, if she chooses to no longer have experiences with me, I haven't lost anything. The things that I had with her still exist in my mind as memories. They can't be taken away unless I get dementia or something, you know. There was nothing to lose in the first place, which, by the way, is my title for my next book coming out soon. Um, so I want you guys to, to start looking at if you have an answer for why you do something, if you believe a thought then some way you're lying to yourself and you're choosing to continue with that life. You're choosing to believe that Harry Potter is a real person. You're avoiding a deeper, more painful, but ultimately more helpful truth. And understand that the deepest and most helpful truth, as painful as it is to get there, is I don't know. You'll see people be afraid of this when you seek advice. Now, if someone was to really give you advice, they would say, I don't know. That would be the most truthful and helpful advice they could probably give you. Well, maybe not the most helpful, but definitely the most truthful. No matter how much of an expert they are in the area that you're asking about, they still don't know the best way to do something. There will always be a better way. So if you ask someone, hey, what's the best way to do this? And they give you an answer. They're kind of lying to you. Unless they say, look, right now, I think this is the best way, but there's probably a better way then at least they're giving you somewhat truthful information. But watch how often someone who doesn't know shit still gives you an answer. How avoidant of I don't know people are, and you'll be the same. If someone gives you advice, you feel compelled to share your thoughts with them, and yet you don't question those thoughts. When someone goes, you know, what should I do with my career? And you're not even a career advisor of any kind. You'll be like, well, knowing you as I do, Already you're lying to yourself. You know, you, you should be an artist. I've seen you do painting. It's fantastic. All you're doing is sharing those bullshit thoughts that you just had pop into your mind with them. 
Now, there's a different way that you could express it. You could say, well, when I think of what would be the best career for you, this thought pops into my mind. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but that's what occurs to me when you ask that question. Now, I don't know what's best for you. Only you know that. But if you're asking me, that's what comes into my mind. Now, that's advice. That's counsel. When you say you should be an artist, simply because your thoughts said that. It's like listening to a radio station, this is the best bed in America, and going to your friend, you should buy that bed. You don't know. You've never even slept on it. Your thoughts are just noise. They're just a radio station generated from someplace so deep in your mind you can't even see it. Therefore, you cannot trust it. But you don't need to trust your thoughts or believe them to have a high-quality life. In fact, what you need to do and again, this is me just listening to my own thoughts and sharing them with you, is dig down, dig, 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 until you get to I don't know, and then go, okay, if I don't know, if I can't come up with a solid value-based reason for this behavior, then it's time to create one. It's time to go back to my values and ask, what does it really mean to live by these values? So this is what really helps with value conflict. So if I'm doing something, I'm like, fuck, is this the right thing to do? I'm not sure. I'll dig down, keep asking myself why until I get to I don't know. But sometimes the I don't know question is more of a, a answer. It's more of a, it's just the right thing to do. And that's when I know I've hit a value-based behavior. If like uh, the other day I had a confrontation with someone and they cried um, extensively. It was a bit of a shock to my system. They walked out of the room crying, and I was kind of sitting there after the confrontation going, fuck, did I just, what just happened there? Did I just fuck things up? Did I just hurt someone? What, what have I done there? And I, I, so I started thinking, why did I have this confrontation in the first place? And what I did is, you know, because I wanted them to think this. Why did I want them to think that? Because of this. Why that? So on. But I'd already done this before the confrontation, so it was quickly that I got to the case, I'm like, well, this is what I have to do to be assertive. This, that's, there is no deeper answer than that. This is me being assertive. This is me standing up for myself. That's my value. This was the uh, best way I could see to behave in a assertive manner. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay, so it's okay that they're crying. Seriously. This wasn't done to make them cry. I can see that clearly. This wasn't done from a place of insecurity. This was done from a place of valued living. Now, them crying threw me off track a bit. I was like, shit, am I still doing the right thing? I just need to reassess. Now, if I got back down to the point, I'm like, fuck, I don't know why I'm having this confrontation. I, d I don't know why I'm allowing them to be upset by what I'm, by my thoughts and feelings. Then I'd need to reassess. Like, am I trying to control the situation? What, how have I misunderstood the value of assertiveness here? So... To summarize things, look, we could have done a whole lot of stuff around meditation and freeing yourself from thought. But again, I see that as fighting thoughts. I think thoughts are actually helpful. They're the outer layer of something very deep, and that's what you can pick at to get deeper. Without thoughts, there's nothing to dig with, you know. So I see thoughts as a helpful yet untruthful representation of my values. And until I get to the answer, I don't know, then I'm choosing to believe a lie choosing to stay plugged into the matrix. So next time you're having that really painful thought, you know, and I've worked with people who have OCD and other sort of disorders that make you really focus on thoughts and really suffer from them. 
is just to ask yourself, you know, where's the exception? What does this thought actually represent in terms of my values? What is my brain trying to tell me in a really weird way? Or is this simply just noise? Is this just a radio station? And what's really going on? Later on, we'll do a, a session on diffusion, which is getting back in touch with reality. And that's the other way to deal with thinking. When your mind's racing and your thoughts are painful, and you're like, this is not helping me, and I can't be bothered exploring them right now, we can, we can do an exercise on getting back in touch with reality. And that's where meditation really helps. But for now, I just want you to, you know, especially that not good enough story, notice the thoughts that come up that you associate a lot of pain with. And start questioning the truth of them and trying to figure out what's the value underneath all of this. What's the truth that you can rebuild on? So I hope you guys found that helpful. It's quite a big topic. It takes a while to really digest and implement this. Feel free to get in touch with me if you have any questions. Dan at brojo.co.nz. I'm happy to help, of course. And uh, depending what time you watch this video, I may have some availability for coaching. And just let me know how you get on. And I'll see you guys next time for Brojo Online. Cheers.